This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. I'll just tell you the truth. When I went to bed really late last night, I thought I had it all figured out. And I was ready to continue the teaching that I have been doing over the last several weeks. And when I woke up this morning, it wasn't right. And so on the day of Pentecost, as we celebrate Pentecost, I want to just continue on the same mindset, but we're going to shift gears just a little bit. I want to read this chapter to you, and I know you said, my goodness, we're going to read this chapter, but I need you to hang on with me for just a few minutes because I believe there's some important truths that we need to see that took place in this period of time. I'm going to probably stop, and I'm going to pause, and I'll talk, and then I'll keep going. So if you stop with me, put a finger in your place so you know where we're at. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 said, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord in one place. The day of Pentecost simply is the 50th day after the crucifixion. After the day of crucifixion, Jesus came and he walked this earth for 40 days, and 10 days later, he sent the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost had been a celebration that took place seven weeks after the festival of Passover. So it was a festival that was celebrated, a one-day celebration that took place every year, and it so happened that God had purposed and ordained His timing that this day of Pentecost would be the day that the Holy Spirit would rest on His people. It wasn't, the, if you want to understand the terminology, we as Pentecostals, the term Pentecost, the term Pentecostal movement was just termed because it took place on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came and rested on the 120 people on that day. They go on and it says in uh, verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, one sat upon each of them. And suddenly they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. I'm going to dig down a little deeper over the next several weeks. It won't be next week. Next week is Father's Day, daddies. Uh, But we'll move on. In a couple weeks, and I'm going to give you a little more depth about the tongues and uh, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, just some understanding and teaching. But you really need to understand that uh, the, the word actually, and I believe this is the New Living Translation, is that correct, Mr. Carter? What you've got here, sir? This translation actually is better translated. The word tongues is this kind of confusing, weird word, but all it meant was they begin to speak in other languages. They begin to speak in languages that were at the time unknown to them. So we don't need to confuse it. We don't have to get all weird and and all out of whack. They were speaking a language that was known. It just was not known to them. They begin to speak with other tongues 
as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak his own language. I just told you a few minutes ago that the confusion wasn't confusion as you and I are confused when uh, we can't remember something or we're kind of just bum-fuzzled for a minute. But this was confusion more so in amazement because here are these Gentile people. There's 120 of them speaking all these different languages that they should not know how to speak. They're Galileans speaking all these other languages. And so the fact that they were speaking in other tongues, or they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance, I know that it was known languages because all these people understood what they were saying. You with me? Come on. We got to get through this. You good? If not, we're going to be here till camp meeting tonight. I got a job to go do. They were amazed. And they marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. I looked these words up earlier. I couldn't say these two. Those two words in Egypt and other parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own languages, our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were amazed, perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? Others, mocking, saying they're full of new wine. There was a lot of people standing around the multitudes gathered. We find out in just a few minutes, 3,000 of them converted after Peter stood up and preached a sermon. There was a lot of people standing around, and as these 120 people begin to speak, as the Holy Spirit give them the words, they not having a clue really what they were speaking. These people understood in their own native language the message of the gospel. That's impressive. They say there's 6,000 languages in, uh, on earth today. Most of them are not necessarily known how to read or write or type. One person, even if you're really, really smart, they say, cannot do, uh, could not know more than 25 languages. We know people, we, we, I don't know these people, I'm not in those circles, but uh, we know of people that can speak dozen, a dozen or so languages and do them well, but there's no way that these people could know all of these languages to speak. You with me? It was a miracle from God, and these people were mind-blown. Some decided that they were even going to mock, and they said, hey, they're just drunk, that's all. That really doesn't make a lot of sense, because anybody that I've ever seen under the influence of alcohol loses their train of thought. They lose their ability to communicate effectively. They sure don't gain the ability to communicate in another language, right? Paul said, don't be under the influence of alcohol, but be under the influence of the Spirit. But Peter, standing up with his eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let, these word, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I read this to you earlier. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. 
Your old men shall dream dreams, and all my men servants and all my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is Peter talking. This is the same Peter that was determined that Jesus won't going to die. He was determined, Peter, uh, he was determined Jesus wasn't going to be arrested. Pulled his weapon up a little bit prematurely and decided to cut off a dude's ear. He's the one that cursed Jesus when the rooster crowed. You with me? And here stands Peter. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, and yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God that you have taken by lawless hands. You've crucified and put him to death. But whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, For I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He's at my right hand, and that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One uh, to see corruption. You've made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. He goes on in verse 29. He says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you. Of the patriarch David, he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul would not be left in Hades, nor his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we're all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out, on, or poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he, he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for remission of sin, and then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to all your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That's intense. That's good. Do you have all that so far? Peter, Peter stood up and preached. A message, and as he preached it, it says that it cut to the hearts of the people. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received this word were baptized that day. About 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and 
fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one another in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from the house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I want to give you a few truths that we can see in this time that took place. First of all, in the very beginning, we see God's timing. We see timing. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one mind or one accord in one place. See, Jesus had told them to go to Jerusalem, and he told them to tarry there until they received the gift. The word tarry literally means to sit. To sit. I don't know about you, but growing up, when the church did what they believed to be tarrying, tarrying, it didn't look like sitting. Amen? I'll just be honest with you, it didn't. The church was doing what they believed to be right. But I don't believe when Jesus said, hey, go sit in Jerusalem and wait. And you read it in Acts chapter 2, as they sat, the Holy Spirit rested upon them. I'm not saying we ain't going to get excited. I'm not saying we don't need to run up and down the aisles and whatever. There's order. There should be order in the house. The point is the misconception that tarrying requires there to be some big emotional workup for the Holy Spirit to rest on his people. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and sit, wait for the gift. And so 120 people get together in the upper room in Jerusalem and they wait. God had planned out from the very beginning of time before time ever began when the Holy Spirit would be gifted to his people. It's no coincidence that the holidays and the festivals were lined out just perfect and Jesus happened to die around the season of Passover and it just so happened that the festival of of Pentecost took place when the Holy Spirit descended. That's not a coincidence, family. God's timing is divine and it's perfect. And those people had to go sit and they had to wait on the gift of the Spirit. What if Peter had got tired of waiting? Because you know Peter. What if he'd have got a little bit impatient? What if he'd have been tired? What if he'd have got hungry? What if somebody knocked on that door playing ding-dong ditch and he'd have took off out the door chasing him because he was mad? What if he'd have got into this thing by the fifth day? I'm tired of sitting here, y'all. Jesus has left us. I don't believe nothing's going to happen. He didn't even believe Jesus had rose from the tomb. Remember? He had to run in and see it for himself because he really didn't believe it. Timing is everything. Waiting on God to move in your life is almost impossible. 
if you don't know that, you ain't waited much. Waiting on God to give you the promises that, that he's given you, waiting on him to pour out the blessing, waiting on him just to show you he's there sometimes is hard. And now here these guys are, Peter and the other 11, and here's 120 of the apostles that, that have watched Jesus uh, be crucified and died, and, and they've seen that he's risen again. They've lost their very best friend. And here he comes back for a teaser almost. For 40 days he walks the earth hanging out with them, and then they lose him all over again. Yeah, he says, wait. The second thing that you see is unity. Lord, have mercy. 120 different people sitting in this room. We'll just pretend that it was like this. And all of them had one thought process going on for 10 days. They were in one accord. That's not a Honda Accord. They were in one mindset. They were of one mind, of one purpose. They had one flow of thought going. They had one goal of sitting and waiting. They weren't studying themselves. They weren't worried about who started stinking. They weren't worried about where, where they needed to go on the 11th day. To be in complete unity the way those 120 people were unified, selfishness has to go out the window, and we have to be completely overwhelmed with selflessness. That means I, can't, I have to care complete less what happened this week. I might walk in, bust it up with my head hanging low because I've had a bad day or, or I had a bad day yesterday or a bad week. But when I walk in to the fellowship of believers and I'm waiting on God to move, my mind's got to straighten up, suck it up, buttercup, get your mind in one place, get focused on the spirit. God move among our people. They were unified. They were unified in their waiting. They had one purpose. Jesus said, I'm going. I'm gone. Sorry. Sorry, not. I'm leaving you. I can't help it, but I'm sending one back that's better than I am. But you've got to wait for him, and you've got to get together. We see that again. Give me a minute. I'll tell you where it's at. After, if 120 wasn't enough, after the 3,000 joined in, verse 46 says, so continuing daily with one accord. Lord, help us if we can get 15 people decide to where to go eat this afternoon. Right? I mean, realistically, we won't go there. Just sitting here this morning, just because we are the kind of people that we are, there's been a thought that's ran through your mind since you walked through the door that if you could have done things around here, you'd have done them a little bit different than they were done today. 
And then somebody else had the same thought, but I promise they didn't think the same thing you did. So here's 120 people in unity focused on one thing, God, give us more of you. That's all they knew. They had no clue what it was going to be like. They knew what the prophet Joel said. Hey, your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Your young men are going to see visions. Your old men are going to see dreams. Hey, this is coming. But they had no clue beyond that. They knew signs and wonders were coming. But what in the world does that mean? I saw a stop sign on the way here earlier. They didn't even know what to expect. Yet regardless, they stayed in one mind. And then 3,000 people were added, and they still stayed in one mind. How do we get to the maturity in our spiritual walk that all of our personal preferences, all of our personal feelings, our emotions, everything can go out the window? It's not going to go away. These people had their own issues. I'm not, I, we would never be naive enough to think that everything is going to be hunky-dory and, and the mission of the gospel takes the place of everything else. It doesn't take the place. It doesn't wipe out life. The calling that's on my life doesn't take away the trials and the troubles and the tribulations of life. But it takes priority over everything else in life. Because if we all get with one mind and one purpose, God above everything else, regardless of my stomach growling, regardless of how I failed you yesterday, regardless of the argument that me and her had on the way here earlier, that won't me, we drove separate this morning, just so you know. Regardless of how bad my kids are on my nerves, regardless of how bad my heart's broke because my grandkids are lost and going to hell, regardless of everything, regardless of what the doctors told me is coming against my life, regardless of everything else, all of that's going to still be there. And it's all still going to hurt. And God's going to comfort. He's in control. He's the peace speaker. He's speaking it over every situation and every circumstance. We have to understand that and above everything else, have one mind that, God, we need more of you. The timing and the unity. But then there was boldness. Because Jesus told them, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power. Power to do ministry. If you don't know anything else when we finish this conversation of Pentecost, you should know that verse of Scripture because I'm pretty sure I've said it every time we talked. But where's the evidence? Where's the fruit? Well, look at Peter. The guy that was such a coward, he wouldn't even admit to knowing Jesus. So scared, his tail tucked between his legs, running, following Jesus from a distance. I can't, I can put him down just so far for the illustration of this, but I don't know that I'd be any different. You wouldn't either. But I'm just telling you the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's Peter following Jesus at a distance when he was arrested, keeping his head down. I, I think about it almost like a, I've watched too much TV, but he's running from tree to tree, back to forth, hiding behind a gate, trying to stay out of eyesight from the guards. Why are you following me? And Jesus has already said, hey, 
When the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. No, Jesus, I would never. Liar. Here's a guy with low self-esteem, no self-control. Fear has gripped his life. And then when that sound filled that room, when that fire began to sit on them, it sparked a fire inside of him. Lord, have mercy. And it said he stood up. And with a loud voice, he began to speak to those people. And, and he didn't have, I don't know that he really had any kind of notes or anything prepared. They had no clue what was coming. He hadn't gone and pulled the scribes of the prophet Joel. He hadn't gone and pulled the words of David. He had them written on his heart. But in complete boldness, he stood up in front of the multitudes. They're looking at him like he's crazy. You want to do something difficult? It's not hard to stand up in front of people that are excited you're talking to them. Try talking to a group of people looking at you like you've lost your mind. Y'all looking at me like that a little bit this morning. I'm just saying. Sometimes y'all don't make this easy. Here's Peter. The multitudes have gathered. They're mind-blown. They're perplexed. They're hearing their own native language. What in the world are you doing speaking to me? You can walk in some of the classrooms of the school system. Harnett County, I don't know how Cumberland works exactly, but they've got a dual immersion program where one day is Spanish, one day is English, or either they split half-day Spanish, half-day English. So Madeline will start that in the fall, but walk in and here's this little seven-year-old, blonde-headed, blue-eyed baby girl speaking fluent Spanish with an accent. It's weird. I've heard them walk in and ask to go to the bathroom, and the teacher say, no, no, speak English. Only Espanol. And the kid have to re-word and retranslate, ask to go to the bathroom in Spanish. The point is, it's weird to see that little blonde-haired, blue-eyed youngin speaking a language that is not whatsoever native to her. And here are 120 people speaking a language that is absolutely not native to them, speaking different languages, a lot of different languages. And Peter stands up boldly. He don't tell them, hey, life's good. Put a smile on your face. Add a boy. Got to give you everything you need and desire. Just smile. He said, now let me tell you about a man named Jesus, the one you decided to crucify, the one that your sin put on a cross. Let me stab you in your heart right from the get-go. But you see, even though you did all that, God still allowed you to have reconciliation with him. You still are allowed to come back to God. Do you understand these words? Let me tell you what the prophet Joel said. David was nobody. He's dead in the ground. His tomb's still there. But Jesus. And Peter, by the, the boldness and power of the Holy Spirit, 
Because they wanted to know what it is. Peter, what do we do? I feel what you're saying. Now, what do I do? He said, well, you repent. You're baptized in Jesus. You accept Jesus, and then you receive the Holy Spirit. There's an order. There's a progression. I love, and and I'm going to tell you about it. I promise. I keep dragging it on. But I'm going to tell you about it. They They received salvation. They received baptism in Jesus Christ. They received a connection with God the Father. And at that point, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit came into their life. The only way, I told you last week, the only way they received their salvation was by the work of the Holy Spirit. But it was after that, it was a separate occurrence that took place after they received salvation. He said, repent, receive Christ, hear these words, and then receive the Holy Spirit. Boldness took place. There was timing. There was unity. Boldness, and then there was repentance. The world, the Bible tells us that repentance comes before salvation. Repentance comes before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit allows God's Word to pierce the hearts. They repented. Verse 41 says, Those who gladly received His Word were baptized. That day, and they were about 3,000. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And as a result of the repentance came growth. Spiritual growth. Because when the Holy Spirit rested on those people, somehow or another, I tend to be a pretty pretty persuasive guy, I think, I don't know. You hung around. 3,000 of these people were able to prioritize their life enough, were able to put things in order in their life, to remain in one mindset. They sold off their possessions. They joined everything they had. They didn't know how the church was going to be formed. That was how the church was formed. Everything they had, they sold off. They put their possessions together to bless those that needed it. We saw signs and wonders follow these people. It doesn't mean that the signs and wonders literally trailed behind them. It meant wherever they went, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform healings, perform miracles, to see people raised from the dead. Therefore, wherever they went, 
the talk of the signs and wonders were behind them because they were carrying a gift with them. Their understanding of God deepened. They were no longer under the influence of anything else of the world, but they were under the direct influence of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, spiritual growth took place, but the church exploded. It exploded. That day was the beginning of what we have right here. This church may have been put on this property in 1968 or whatever it was, 63, I don't remember. But this church didn't begin then. This church began when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And those 120 people had pulled themselves together to be in one mind and one purpose. And then from that day on, it just continued. 3,000 people. We talk, I'm a numbers guy. And I, I, we talk about numbers. We look at statistics and we look at percentages of growth and I'm a nerd, whatever. Do you realize, have you counted today how many people's here? How many? 49, 50 people. Do you realize, family, that on average, this church since last year, April and May, has seen a 100% growth rate? It's 49 people. They don't have to be 5,000. The ratio is the ratio. I'm all about the numbers and working the math in a spreadsheet, and I'm weird. Could you imagine from 120 people to 3,000 people in a day? Lord have mercy. Where in the world would we put the people? Family, what if 3,000 people showed up 365 days from today? What if 3,000 people showed up here next year? What if, what if 490 people showed up right here 365 days from now. Isn't that what we want? If not, I'm in the wrong place. I'll just be honest with you. I'll be very real with you. If we're not on a mission for winning people to the kingdom, I am not in the right house. I ain't got that much time left on earth to not be mission-minded and kingdom-minded. I will live my life worthy of my calling. The way that growth like that takes place is under the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way 
we're unified, where we care about 490 people are, are showed up between now and next year at this time. If we have 490 people in attendance, we're going to go through some rough patches. I'm going to have some more gray hair. Your pew's going to be full. You probably would have to choose whether you come to a 9 o'clock or a 10.30 service. You're going to have to change somebody's diaper in the nursery, whether it's really your thing or not. But all that means we get unified, where none of that matters. I don't like changing diapers. Not even my own youngins. But if a mama gets saved, sanctified, and baptized in the Holy Spirit so she's empowered to win somebody else to Jesus, I'll change a diaper. And above that stinky, nasty diaper is the mindset, I need more of God. We need more of God in everything we do. I'll celebrate the day of Pentecost. I'm... They've got a beautiful, I'm going to edit this podcast. They've got a beautiful setup in Kinley for the week. This is the 35th year of Eastern North Carolina Church of God camp meeting. Beautiful display. Lots of people that I have no clue who they are. I, I believe they were great saints of God. They've gone on. I'll celebrate that. But I sure hope. And my expectation is high. But I sure enough hope that our display of the present move of God is as much time devoted, it has as much tedious effort put into it. People are prayed up and ready when they show up up at them campgrounds tonight at 6 o'clock. I hope that they've prepared the same amount for a present move of God as they planned and they celebrated the one over the last 35 years. I'm all for the heritage. I'm all for celebrating it, remembering it. I, I be, I'm thankful we would not be here. I know my place. I know I'm falling and I'm walking on a foundation that has been heavily laden and it's blood, sweat, and tears have been poured out for me to be standing where I'm standing in ministry, period. I respect it. I appreciate it. I'm so thankful. But I would be a broken link if I won't continue in the lay foundation to make that thing keep growing and keep going so that my kids' kids have a move of God and they can look back and celebrate you and I. Growth. I celebrate the day of Pentecost. But I live my life like every day is Pentecost. miss that or you just ain't there yet I will celebrate Pentecost on June 9th 2019 but June 10th is another day of Pentecost for this guy and I'm going to walk under the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to walk worthy to the very best of my ability. I'm going to be directly under the influence, under the direction of exactly where he calls me to go, exactly who he calls me to speak to, who he tells me to stay away from. 
Tomorrow's a new day. And I'm all for it. I'm excited. I woke up this morning excited to celebrate the day of Pentecost because I'm so thankful for the gift of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. But he didn't give me that gift so that on February the 19th, 2012, 11, 11, I could sit back and enjoy it for a little while and move on about my business. That's the day I was baptized. I have been refilled many times since then. What's it going to take for us to see a Pentecost? Would you stand with me? We'll get into the history of this another day. But if you've ever been taught the myth that the baptism of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues was limited to that one day, the book of Acts sets that straight. Because it was a good while later in Acts chapter 8 when the Holy Spirit moved again and it was I believe it was some 10 years later. Maybe it's been longer than that. I didn't write notes because that's for next time. Years went by within the first 10 and 12 chapters of the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit was poured out on people. And they began to minister under the power of the Holy Spirit. So the idea that it was just meant for those original 12 and those original 120 in the upper room and those 3,000, that's crazy. No offense to you if that's what you think, but I'm telling you, we can go find in the book of Acts that that's incorrect, that's inaccurate. It's not something that stopped on the day of Pentecost. Here in the United States, we've seen movements in 1896, the Church of God denomination experienced the first move of the Holy Spirit in a revival. And that was when the first mainstream, uh, that was the Pentecostal denominations were formed. And that's when the Holy Spirit began to pour out on the people of, of that denomination and other denominations that you know as Pentecostal denominations. They simply got the name because that's all they could refer back to was Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And then sometime later in 1960s and 70s, there was another charismatic movement and other mainline denominations began to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues in revivals all across the nation. This did not take place on the day of Pentecost to stop on the day of Pentecost. It's not for a certain select group of Christian people. Joel said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. I believe wholeheartedly he's talking about the believer. Every person under the sun has an opportunity to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's in order. There's repentance, there's baptism in Christ, and then there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What, it, what will it take for you and for I to see a movement 
I don't want the same old, same old. I want signs and wonders to follow us. I want people to think we're weird. That church family's a little off their rocker. They can walk up in that place where somebody's died and they can say, get up in the name of Jesus, and that person get up. That would be weird, but scripturally that's accurate that you and I have the authority and the power to do that. Family, it comes at a cost. First of all, it's in God's timing. And I believe so, so often he's waiting on us to wrap our mind around exactly who he is and what he wants to do. I don't know that it didn't take these 120 folks 10 days to get their self in order. It took them stopping for a moment, a long moment, 10 days worth of moment, 240 hours they had to sit in that room with each other. Putting everything else to the side, focused on one goal, God, give us more of you. Take me, Lord. Take all of me, God. Because, see, when you receive Christ, you got Him. You received the Holy Spirit. You received the indwelling. The Holy Spirit came. The Spirit of God lives in your life. But when you receive the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, He gets you. I said that last week. You got him. But when you're willing to fully submit everything in your life and you prioritize, I've got one goal and one purpose. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to take care of these things in order the way they got to be taken care of. I'm not going to let my family go hungry because i got one purpose of needing more of God. That would be irresponsible. So how do I prioritize my life where we get in one mind and one purpose? Or we want more of Him. Some of us need to do some repenting. Because Peter straight up said, repent. Receive the baptism in Christ and then receive the Holy Spirit. None of that takes place without repentance. God's grace covers the sin. But to have more of Him, to be fully engulfed in who He is, it requires repentance. Through all of that comes boldness, but we're not there yet. The boldness and growth are the fruit and the repercussions, the consequences of our actions. How do we get there? How do we see 490 people show up here 365 days from now? Our very first step. It's repentance, then unity, 
And we sit and rest asking for more of God. Would you bow your heads? Father, I love you, Lord. God, we've heard your word today. I know your heart. God, you want nothing but the best for us. Lord, you want us to have the fullness of joy, the fullness of hope. God, you want us to have the fullness of your spirit. Lord, if salvation were it, then why do we see evidence all throughout Scripture of more of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? God, we recognize today that there's more to this thing than salvation. There's another baptism. There's another time. There's another moment. There's another experience where we give ourselves fully to you. God, but as we stand here today, as a body, as a family, perfect, imperfect, broken people, God, we've got trials, we've got situations in our life, we've got broken families, we've got broken homes, we've got damaged goods. Father, we stand here as one body. God, healed and made perfect through you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you convict the hearts today that need to repent. God, that's the first step of this process, and I pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, you move on your people.